as we were sitting in a circle for tea, I was just thinking how wonderful it is to sit together. It seems like we're out on a plane with some high trees, and we're in this huge this circle, and all of us are small, but we're it's a cohesive group. And my wish for everyone, my prayer for everyone, is that you all awaken to this precious life that you have, and that you have that you are free of suffering, that everyone can walk away from this place or wherever you go and take with you some of these practices. The last talk, I started with the question that uh, Kise had. You know, she didn't have the question. She said, trust the practice. And the question was, how do you trust? What do you trust? What can you rely on? And I just want to keep that question rolling over in your mind. And maybe you've come to a little more of a conclusion about that over these past couple days. You can treat it like a koan. What do I trust? How do I trust the practice? What is the practice? What is trust? But today, I'm going to give a little talk that is like a meal. We'll have a little appetizer, then we'll have the main course, and then a little dessert at the end. <laughs> so the first appetizer is a little bit about happiness or joy in practice. Several people have mentioned it. Uh, and, you know, as we get practicing and we're really kind of working hard and we often forget about happiness or joy. But the Buddha taught that happiness or joy is one of the seven factors of enlightenment, along with mindfulness, investigation, energy, relaxation or tranquility, concentration, and equanimity. And maybe some people think, and maybe I've thought this too, that um, once a person is enlightened, then they would have those seven factors. But that's not exactly how it works. We have to cultivate those factors in order to become enlightened. So cultivating happiness and joy is an important part of our practice, and it's, it comes kind of naturally if we let it. This is how the Buddha explained our relationship to things. And, um, physical and emotional feelings. So they correspond or attach to, we, we, they, these feelings or emotions, correspond or attach to an object. For example, we have a sensation of hearing is created when a ear or inside our ear comes in contact with a sense object, a sound. So we hear a bird, we're able to process it, and then we have sound. And ordinary happiness works in that way. For example, we have a happy event that we, this event happens, we're aware of it, and we're happy for a while. Like we could win a, a prize or perhaps buy a new iPhone. And that's ordinary happiness. But the problem with ordinary happiness is that it never lasts because the objects don't last and everything is impermanent. A happy event will soon end. And then we go about looking for another event or another circumstance. 
But this happiness as a factor of enlightenment is not dependent on objects, but it's a state of mind cultivated through mental discipline. Because it's not dependent on an impermanent object, it doesn't come and go. A person who has cultivated the Pali word for piti still feels the effects of, of transitory emotions, those ones that come and go, happiness and sadness, but can also appreciate their impermanence and essential unreality. This is how the Dalai Lama talked about it. He says, actually, the practice of Dharma is a constant battle within, placing previous negative condi conditionings or habituations with new positive conditioning. So this is one way that we cultivate joy or happiness. We replace negative conditionings with new positive ones. But the new positive ones that come from our practice are of a different quality. So most Buddhist practice recognizes that we, we build these qualities through meditation or chanting, and perhaps studying practices such as the Eightfold Path, precepts, ethical living, and there's another one, there's a couple, there's quite a few others. Um, and the one that I've practiced in the past is called Anapanasati Sutta. It's from the Anapanasati Sutta, and it's a breath practice. So for those who are working on breath practice, you're already doing part of this already. So joy or happiness might already be emerging. So just be aware that this is not a problem. As you practice with the breath, allow the body to relax deeply. This allows, a gra sometimes allows energy to just be released into a feeling of, that can come across in, in many different ways, feeling more alive, more energized, um, tingling sensations, a release of gratitude, generosity can come over the whole body when you, appreciation is another way I think about it. Satisfaction, a deep sense of joy. But at the same time, you remain calm and still. So I'm just reminding people that this is a, an emotion, this is a quality that we like to cultivate during our practice. When you look at statues of the Buddha, he always has this little smile on his face. And I always think that little smile is happiness, satisfaction, deep, deep satisfaction with what's happening, acceptance of reality. As we said, deep happiness has no object. So don't make yourself an object. As long as you're seeking happiness for yourself, you'll fail to find anything but temporary happiness. Happiness can arise from your practice. And if that happens, then just stay with that sensation. Just 
allow joy to arise. And that's part of the practice. You practice breathing, you practice understanding the breath, short breaths and long breaths. You feel the whole body breathing and then just allow joy to arise. Just that allowing can produce a joyful expression. Keeping the, the mind calm and the body calm while doing this. This is the part, these are the steps that one can follow to bring more joy into your practice. So that was a little appetizer. And now I want to talk a little bit more, a little bit about our, the, the element, air. We've gone through earth, water, fire, air, you get everything? Air, breathe, the wind, the breeze, what we live in, what we swim in, so to speak. Thank goodness for the wind, for the breeze on these hot days. As soon as we call to mind the element of air, we usually think of breathing, the air in our lungs. We're immediately aware of this sensation. And we realize that this air is flowing rhythmically in and out of our body. Day and night, we don't have to breathe. Our body breathes for us. We can't even, we can't go without breath for very long. Then almost at the same time, we can identify the air element outside of us. We feel the, the breeze on our face, touching our skin. We see the wind blow the bamboo in the clouds, in the trees. We're taking in and giving out this element all the time. In our current way of thinking, air is also our atmosphere. It's the layer of gases that are retained here by our gravity and surrounds the planet. Protects the planet. It allows for, creates a pressure that allows for liquids to stay on the Earth's surface. It protects us from the ultraviolet solar radiation. There's, the, the atmosphere allows warming of the surface of the Earth, and it reduces temperature extremes. We, we're only comfortable as humans in between like about 60 and 80 degrees. And then after that, we have to take clothes off or add clothes or do something. And we can extend that a little bit, but that's where we're really, that's our comfort zone. And that's not very large. So the air helps us have that kind of an um, environment to live in. It's mostly gas, even though it's all around us, we can't see it. It's about 78% nitrogen and 21% oxygen and a bunch of other gases. The one we hear about a lot these days, carbon dioxide. 
as it takes a larger percentage of our uh, atmosphere. Neon, hydrogen, but also there's a lot of little tiny particles in the, in the air. Aerosols, they're called. Dust and pollen. You'll probably, you've probably felt it or heard, smelled it or sneezed it. It's also soot and smoke, exhaust. And when there's too many particles in the air, then we can't, it's difficult for plants and animals to live. Right now, the air element is entering and leaving our body. Right now, air is entering our bodies. Oxygen is dissolving in our bloodstreams, being taken to cells to provide energy. And then carbon dioxide is being exhaled. This is a form of reciprocity that has developed over the, world, over the millenniums with the plant world. It's interesting that we have this back and forth. So if we have a lot of carbon, if, in the future, if the carbon dioxide level grow, grows very high, there'll be lots of plants. Lots of plants can survive. So I want to practice a little bit with the air element. So take a moment and just relax and put your attention on your breath for a moment. And feel the solidity of the earth element of your body. Touch your hands to your knees or feel where your mouth and lips meet. Feel the bones through your skin skin above them. Another way is subtle, feeling the subtle pressure of your eyelids. We're starting with letting that feeling of solidity flow into and merge with the earth element wherever you're sitting. Think, become aware of the earth element, the soles of your feet, and if they're touching the ground, allow that to merge. Now imagine that you're going to walk outside here. And with each step you take, the earth element in your feet merges with the earth element of the floor or the ground that you're working, walking on. And if you touch something, a table, a chair, a door, a tree. Then allow that earth element to merge with your hand. Now imagine that you are walking close to a tree. Touch the tree, lean back against its trunk, Allow your body to merge with its solidity. No separation. 
continue walking until you come to a stream. Put your hand in the stream and feel the water's solidity pressing against your fingers. Recognize, recognizing that this solidity is what allows a boat to float and fish to swim. Look up to the sky and let the bodies, the earth, your body's earth element flow into the clouds, which have their own solidity. Now return to the breath. And focus on your awareness on the breath, on the air, in and around your body. Feel the breath as it enters and leaves the nose. Feel the mo movement of the breath. How can you tell it's coming in or going out? Now at the same time, feel the air on the outside of your face. Allow these two to merge together. The breath on the inside and the air on the outside. Maybe letting go of inside and outside would be helpful. Become aware of the air on the sole of your feet and the breath moving within your body. Allow them to merge as one. Now move your attention to the whole body moving as you breathe and at the same time feel the air all around you. Allowing air inside and outside to merge. Feel that air both pushes and supports you. Imagine getting up and walking, feeling the change in the quality of the air. Feel the wind that your movement generates.
Imagine that your walk takes you into a shady place and how that changes your experience with air. The coolness touching your body and generating a different feeling. You breathe in this air. And the shade and you are not separate. Now go to the nearest tree in your imagination and touch it with your hand. Take your hand away and feel the air around the tree. merging your own feeling of air with the subtle difference in the air around the tree and realize you're no longer separated from that tree. You're both in the same air. You're both absorbing the warmth of the sun's rays or the coolness of the shade. Now walk to a pool of water. Put your hand in the water. Take it out and then notice the drying effect of the air. As you walk, you notice that we share the air with the birds and the bats mosquitoes. Where's the boundary between inner air and outer air? The air of the bats and the trees. There is only one air element. And that air element is within us simply borrowed for a few moments. We can't hold on to the air element any more than we can hold on to any of the others. In fact, we can only live by letting go, never by holding on. To hold on is to die. If you couldn't take a breath, if you held on to every breath, you wouldn't have many breaths. So we can reflect on the air element like the other physical elements. This is not me. This is not mine. I am not this. We shift our view from being the center of all that is happening to be being connected to an immense oneness of this great earth. In a very real, well, way, real way, we right-size our human being in context with the rest of the planet. 
bringing to mind the Chinese or Japanese landscape or the American landscape, like the Hudson River School and landscapes of the West, where the landscapes are huge and the people are very small. This can be very helpful in some ways to see how we as humans fit into the scheme of the world and the universe. But often then we feel small and insignificant. But with these practices, we can see our true relationship with the rest of the world and no longer feel, need to feel separate and small. But as an intimate part of a vast cycle of the elements. You can feel the impermanent, transient nature of the body. And in this way, we can shift from the view that this body is a relatively fixed and solid physical form to one that is actually a dynamic process. These elements are constantly flowing through this body. We're sloughing off old parts and renewing and, re and nourishing new ones. With this understanding, we can nurture a sense of curiosity and wonder and openness. The world is more alive. We become less attached to the physical form and sense of identification. Everything is just passing through this body. Solid matter, water, air, and energy. And then it's out there in the form of clouds and forests, soil. In a way, all those things are me. And because this very body is the same thing, I am them. Having this direct sense of interconnectedness is enlivening and empowering. We're all part of this intimate, vast cycle of life on Earth. So you might think about, hear this koan now with a few, with new awareness. Once a monk asked Changsha, a Zen master of Jinsen, how should I turn mountains and rivers and the earth into myself? Changsha said, how could you turn yourself into mountains, rivers, and earth? Now for a little dessert. Somebody sent me these poems. They're Dogen poems, a book called The Song of the Wind in the Dry Trees. So Dogen's, or, um, Sancho Doi, is a long series of poems, approximately 60 verses in total, which I will not read. <laughs> oh, thank God. <laughs> 
Almost all are written at Eheji, which at the time was no more than a small isolated mountain um, hermitage. He began writing the collection when he first got, one year after he got there, when he settled there in 1245. And then he finished the last ones in 1253. But they weren't published for five, almost 500 more years in the 1740s, 50s. And the name of it, but they're beautiful. I feel that they're beautiful, and that's why I wanted to share them with you. Sancho means umbrella pine, and that was the name at Heiji, where he, he, his monastery was. Um, used to be called that because there were a lot of umbrella pines there. And do, doe is, means um, song of the way. So it's the songs of the way of the umbrella pine. What I find interesting about Zen poems is that they have this um, imagery of nature, and you you have a feeling there's something there, but not quite sure what it all is. So I'll read these, and you can just listen to them, and then I'll explain one of them. There, I think there's 10 or 11. They're really short. The waves die out on the shore. The light wind holds its breath. The abandoned boat gently drifts. In the silence of the night, the moon in the depths of the firmament spreads her peaceful light. Two, on the russet leaves of the long winter month, the spotless snow softly sparkles. Under the moon's rays, what words can express the inexpressible beauty? Three, wherever it may go, from wherever it may come, the water bird eases its trace, erases its traces, but never loses its way. Four, when it dives or when it is carried by the rolling waves, who can tell the seagull from the mandarin duck? Where is our native village deep in the mountains? Where shall we seek it? Our native village is where we are living, here and now. Our mind is colorless. No one can see it. It is just like the dew or the frost. Oh, my little hermitage where I'm hibernating amid the clouds, the ice and the snow. No one is unsettled by the swift passage of the days, nor disquieted by the running of the horse galloping after the sun. The inner intoxication of our mind is like the autumn sunset over the forest where the woodcutter works. The flowers bloom in the spring and from the foot of the mountain, their perfume rises. Springtime is coming to an end 
It passes even if we want to hold it back, even if we regret its passing. In the grassy dojo of my hermitage, summer has arrived. We put on the light colomo and lower the reed blinds. These images are compelling Zen poetry. These are compelling, and Zen poetry combines the literary practice of poetry with the philosophical principles of Zen Buddhism. As such, it's a not philosophical statement, but an observation using descriptive words about our practice. It's focused on attaining moments of enlightenment or to true clarity of mind by emphasizing singular experiences. And as you heard, most of these, these are nature-focused images. So in this, the waves die out on the shore, the light, hold, the light wind holds its breath, the abandoned boat gently drifts in the silent of the night, the moon in the depths of the firmament spreads her peaceful light. The waves represents the anxieties and uncertainties and passions that come and go, and the abandoned boat is the abandoned ego. The boat is empty. There is no longer anything that could be described as you or me. It's empty, empty consciousness, conscious emptiness. The inside is empty. The moon is a symbol of harmony and represents awakening. No eyes can disturb its light. Silent and light, even at midnight, are the essence and also the symbols of Zen Buddhism, Soto Zen in our particular case. That's what Zazen is. It's the wind that does not move, the still mind. It's the abandoned boat that no longer belongs to anyone. It's the act of detachment. It's like a koan or like a vow. It's unconscious faith. The wind has dropped. The waves, illusions, anxieties have calmed. For there's no owner anymore. The boat is abandoned. In the depths of the night, only the moon illuminates the landscape. The light wind holds its breath. The abandoned boat gently drifts. Well, the waves, the waves die out on the shore. The light wind holds its breath. The abandoned boat gently drifts in the silence of the night. The moon in the depths of the firmament spreads her peaceful light. May we all encounter the moon in the depths of the firmament and hear the songs of the wind in the dry leaves and the dry trees.